Hello, and welcome back to Jumpcast, the award-winning podcast brought to you by Jumpcut Online. Uh, we've taken a little bit of a break over Christmas uh, to let you digest uh, this Star Wars fallout and digest all that Christmas food. Um, but we're back. Um, so a belated Happy New Year to you all. Um, and we hope you had a good break, whatever you got up to. Um, but a brand new year means change. And things are, are changing at Jumpcast. Not a lot. Um, and hopefully for the better. Uh, this year, we're going to try and start doing weekly shows, whereas we're doing fortnightly uh, last year in 2019. So this is the first of hopefully at least 50 shows this year, which will be exciting. Um, we're going to, in addition to that, we're going to do some um, subscriber specials that will be available to people who are donators on Patreon, which I'll talk a little bit at the end of, about a little bit at the end of the show. Um, but we'll crack on to episode 10 now of Jumpcast. Can you believe that? Um, so joining me tonight for the first show of the year to talk about Sam Mendes' 1917 uh, and Billie Eilish as well, which is hot off the press, um, is Mr. Sam Comrie. How are you? I am very good. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, It's nice to be back on. I'm, I'm with a podcast veteran as well. Podcast veteran himself, <laughs> Mr. Reese Baron jones How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, good to be back. Hopefully it wasn't as a regular as I was last year, but uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> what do you mean, hope? No, you don't. We want you on. Good quality content from Mr. Baron Jones. Uh, so is the new year treating you both well? Uh, I think so. I mean, I've been at work for most of it. Retail life. Retail Armageddon. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm back in teaching, and it's it's teaching, so... You know. Teaching is teaching. <laughs> You're in charge of the new generation of of, of, of children and minds, Reese. It's a terrifying thought. <laughs> it's horrifying. Um, horrifying. <laughs> um, so um, it's been quite a few busy weeks. Uh, well, basically a couple of weeks, I should say, in, in the world of cinema. Uh, there's been lots of new releases at the beginning of the year. We've seen Little Women sort of at the uh, at the end of and it's Boxing Day. It was released here, I think, in the UK. Um and also 1917 is the big release, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But there has been some news floating around as well. And we'll talk about news that actually dropped today as when we're recording, um, which is the news that Billie Eilish has been signed on. <laughs> signed on. <laughs> Billie Eilish has signed up to, um, to sing the new James Bond theme for the upcoming No Time to Die, which is out in April, 2nd of April. Yeah. Um, She's written it with her brother, which is good. And between the two of them, they are the set to be the youngest by quite some distance, the youngest uh, writers and performers to produce and perform a James Bond song. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? It's an interesting brand, sort of interesting um, avenue they've sort of gone. I think it's really good. I think the Bond franchise has always been something that's been tightly held close to MGM and the broccoli family so i think it's kind of cool that they're branching out and basically saying we could go for a very obvious choice but no we'll give it to an 18 year old mumble core rap <laughs> girl that's fresh onto the scene which i think's really exciting you said they're obvious choices who would have been your obvious choice like i mean i think the, i think adele rumored that she would like to come back for one and i think daniel craig was like keen for that but then they said that last time when spectre came out so I don't really like this. I don't like Sam Smith's uh, Spectre. <laughs> I think Adele was one. There was rumours Beyonce might be up for it. I did well. hear. I did hear that one as well. I heard 
Dua Lipa's name mentioned. Yeah, Dua Lipa and then Muse were thrown in. I think I even heard Arctic Monkey's name rumoured at one point. I didn't hear that rumour. That'd be quite interesting. That would be quite interesting. Given the last album as well. Yeah, new, the new sound of Alex Turner and co, because nobody knows. I'm not from Yorkshire anymore. <laughs> uh, how about you, Reese? Uh, what, what do you think? It's quite, I say, it's quite a sort of bold leap into the, well, it's not the dark, but it's something new, definitely. It's going to bring, breathe fresh light into things. Absolutely is, yeah. And I think, I, I'm not the world's biggest Billie Irish fan. However, I will admit that Bad Guy is a complete tune. Um, and I, I, I'm very curious what kind of song she's going to unleash um, because yeah. we're so used to having ballads. Um, and it, I guess apart from, well, the Quantum of Solace one. Um, and it's... There's so much about Quantum of Solace that I've just completely blocked <laughs> from, my, from my memory. I don't remember the, th- the song um, at all. But I quite like it. Who did it? Uh, Jack White and Alicia Keys. Yeah. I, I own it on gold seven inch vinyl. <laughs> yeah. I think I I think I when well, you were kind of talking about possible singers, I heard Lana Del Rey quite a few times as well. I don't I, again it's all gonna be we don't know much about it at the minute, apart from the people that are in it. Um it's gonna be complete and it is Daniel Craig's last film, obviously. So but we don't know what the tone is it his of last the film? film is going to be. Well, he says he well, he said the last one was, wasn't it? Mm. And then they paid him 80 million pounds or whatever it was to sign on and he's like yeah all right i'll do it um but so uh, and there's obviously they've um again spectre i've blanked a lot out of my memory as well but with leia sedu's character coming back Mm -hmm. and there's obviously like a deep it's not a james blonde james bond fling anymore it's like there looks like there's some real sort of personal um, relationship and connection Mm. with her here so i don't know whether it's going to be kind of more tragic than normal with it being the last craig film and um, whether, whether I don't know, are, are they? Is it going to be the precursor to something a bit bolder, where they might kill off James Bond and try and do something a bit different afterwards? <laughs> like so, and the song is going to be, it's going to have to be sort of um, resembling, it's going to have to resemble the the subject matter of the narrative somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact they've gone with Billie Eilish, she's a bit. I don't, I don't. I make her sound like she's Scottish, but she's a bit dour. Do you know what I mean? Like she, she her like her music. It's not like it's danceable too. But if you actually sit and listen to the lyrics, it's not like very cheery and happy. Mm. Um, a bit like Lana Del Rey. True. Yeah, and if the, and if those were the sort of li- uh, people that were sort of floating around, I wonder if there is. Um, I wonder if this is going to really touch on some sort of darker or, or sort of more. Well, I think that's kind of. The direction to be trying to take Daniel Craig's Bond, try and make him a bit more like a relatable character, like someone you can actually relate to, empathise with. Yeah. And the stuff he's kind of gone through when you actually think about it in the last few films, he's not had a good time of it. <laughs> he's not at all. Well, yeah, all his felt like if you let poor old Eva Green in the first one. Yeah. Rest in peace. He becomes a double O, <laughs> then he gets tortured, then he loses the love of his life, and then he's in the desert with oil for some reason in Quantum of Solace. <laughs> he's just sad to be in that film. He loses um, M. Uh, he loses M in Skyfall in Home Alone 4.0. Yep. And then uh, Spectre, it's just another kettle of fish. I like Spectre, but we don't need to open that. Honestly, I think I remember liking it at the time, but I don't think I've ever had the inclination or the desire to go back and watch it. I saw it like six times the week it came out. <laughs> but Bond isn't I'm not a huge Bond fan. Like yeah. I, I don't think I've I don't think I've even seen all twenty five. 
Uh, I think this new one will be the 25th. I could be wrong. I think I've probably seen about sort of 16 or 17 of them. So I've not even seen have, that many. I have got the box set ready to go. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna um, educate myself in the build up to April. Um, but yeah, so new interesting direction for Bond with Billie Eilish. We'll talk just about a little bit about Bond for another couple of minutes. Do you have any expectations about this new James Bond film that you want things you want to see? I mean, Anna de Armas is in it and Rami Malek's in, uh, Rami Malek's in it. I can't say his name at all. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm sure Chris, Chris will be like, dang, it's Rami Malek. Um, but, um, it's Sam Raimi Malek, I'll have you know. <laughs> it's Freddie Mercury. Um, but yeah, so is, is there anything particularly that's exciting you about looking at the Bond uh, film? The trailer's dropped. I'm really excited for it more than I thought I would be because I really like the director because of True Detective season one mm -hmm. um, and I think the trailer is really smart and I like how it's embracing like both the seriousness of the previous Craig films and then also you've got a donut wheel machine gun car at the end of it and it's Don't like talk to Daniel Craig about donuts oh, I can't <laughs> <laughs> I can't break the voice out again um... do it <laughs> but it's, I can't wait for it I think it's going to be really good um, I just I want to see some flourishes I want to see something really quite, quite exciting and inventive because I know that's what the director can do and I think you know try and send Craig off you know with a bang I guess it's just yeah I mean I think I'm in the same boat I think I think I pretty much with a lot of people have written it off as like an absolute disaster because it's gone through such production hell over the last few months. Um, there's like even stuff with like the set set on fire. Like it felt it <laughs> felt cursed. Um, but no, like you said, the trailer's dropped and um, the director is like you said, the True Detective is great. And I think Phoebe Waller Bridge is writing. Yeah, Daniel Craig got her on yep. personally as well. Yeah, and she's uh, we all know how great a writer she is. Um, so there's a lot it's got a lot of stuff for like sort of fighting its corner so it'll be interesting to see what they do and with it being Craig's potential last film as well obviously they'll want to he'll want to go out with her yeah because he'll be aware that he's probably two for two in most people's books <laughs> um, so he wants to finish in the, in the positives and he's also um, got an upcoming Benoit Blanc franchise to deal with it does so. <laughs> well yeah he needs that sort of thing I mean Benoit Blanc or Bond the two Benoit cinematic Bond. greats <laughs> I am excited for another time to that. The stuff about it, I'm a bit cautious of because there's the, in the last couple of Bond films, they've kind of cherry picked elements of stories from other previous films, mm. like with Spectre. We've obviously had like the return of the organization of Spectre, and that's kind of like you only live twice and Diamonds of Forever and stuff like that. And then it seems with this new one, they're kind of touching on on the Majesty's Secret Service where Bond does get married. And right at the end of the film, she dies at the hands of Blofeld. Oh. And obviously Blofeld's back in this movie and we're trying to see that he's in this relationship and clearly in the trailer, something's gone wrong. Mm. And now Rami Malek's in it and he's, there's rumours that he might be Dr. No. I've heard that too. And I don't, I, I don't like that. <laughs> and, uh, it's not that I don't like him playing the character. I just wish they'd do something it's new. Yeah. It's going to be interesting because obviously as well, Bond has lost his double O status and the and the woman that comes to find him or he finds her that we've seen in the trailer. Mm. She is double O seven, I believe. Yeah. She, yeah, she's taken his his number. Um, so that's gonna be an interesting dynamic as well to see if he is literally if he's throwing it all away, if he's gonna want that back or you know, um, maybe that is maybe that is their link into moving James Bond yeah. away from um the normal quick, James quick Bond. Quick question for Sam, because you're obviously the James Bond kind of guy. 
What was the name of the um the Skyfall villain? Ooh, uh, Silver. Oh yeah, that's the one. Yeah, um, yeah, he had Was he a new villain? He's a new villain. Yeah, he's an original villain. Why not like make more original villains then? Because money, please. Hollywood <laughs> <laughs> is lazy. Yeah. No, I, that, that's a, a good shout, actually, bringing up him. I really like Javier Bardem Yeah, he was good. Skyfall. Yeah. Especially with his little island base as well. Mm. And I think they're going for a very similar vibe with Christoph Waltz, well, from the trailers as well, at least the way he was in that confinement. Yeah, in Wakefield, apparently. Yeah, in Wakefield. <laughs> God, the, stuck in confinement in Wakefield. Sorry to people in Wakefield who are listening. Um, but yeah, so Hollywood, stop being lazy and write uh, original villains. We'll move on swiftly to one of the Oscar-nominated films, ten times no less, uh, 1917, uh, which was directed by Sam Mendes, written by Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson-Cairns, starring George Mackay, Dean Charles Chapman, Colin Firth, Mark Strong, Andrew Scott, Richard Madden, and Benedict Cumberbatch. A uh, quick synopsis for you. Two young British soldiers during the First World War are given an impossible mission. Deliver a message deep in enemy territory that will stop 1,600 men and one of the soldiers' brothers from walking straight into a deadly trap set by their German foes. Um, we'll start way, 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 way back. Um, when the first trailer came out and when the first articles started circling that that was saying that this was going to be a one-take film. <laughs> Did that grab your attention straight away? Oh, for sure. I mean... Oh, it grabbed mine. Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm one of those annoying people, like I mentioned it earlier in the James Bond chat, that I love the um, True Detective, and there's a scene in True Detective in episode yes. four, Who Goes There, um, which is one of the coolest scenes I've seen on TV, which is one big... Like- the one with the Conhead yeah. going through the camp. One yeah. seven-minute-long one-take, <laughs> and it is incredible. And then to see that technique used for an hour-and-a-half war film is incredible. And to see it play out in the way it does was just one of the most incredible experiences I've had in my entire... Well, I see in my entire life, but watching cinema, you know, it's, it was just <laughs> phenomenal to witness. And I was excited when it was announced that way, and it blew my expectations out of the water. Some. Uh, yeah, it definitely. Well, when I when I booked tickets to see it, it definitely affected um, the format I chose to go see it. And as like I said to my girlfriend, it's got to be IMAX yeah, or I bust. Book those IMAX tickets. So yeah, um, sorry, and IMAX completely blown away by it. Um, it's like there's two ways it could have gone. I was listening to Sam Mendes talk about it and says you could have done it the bad way, where it's just a camera behind the two characters following them. Or you can do it the Roger Deakins way. <laughs> <laughs> the Roger Deakins effect. Hashtag. Um, I think I was the same. I think I like, I like one of my favourite films. We'll get onto this later. One of my favourite films ever is Saving Private Ryan. It has been for a long, for as long as I can remember. So I've always had a sort of an affiliation when a war film comes out. I'm like, ooh, okay. Um, having Sam Mendes' name linked to it immediately, uh, was I was like, wow, okay. I'm even more on board than I was in the first place. Because I know it's not cool to say it anymore, but I really love American Beauty. <laughs> I love Skyfall. Um, I literally can't remember his other films off the top of my head, which is really bad. Cause, he's not I done really many. Like, like I looked at IMDb recently. Oh, he's, he did film. He did Jarhead a long time ago. Jarhead. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Is it um, Road to Perdition? Is that Road to Perdition? Yeah, yeah. it's his. Yeah, that's the that's the one. Is that um, 
Is that the gangster one? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good film. I ain't seen that in a long time, but um, that's, a, that's a great uh, movie. Which is the one he did with Leo and Kate Winslet? Uh, the, I don't know if that was him, but is it the reader or something? I think it's funny because everyone was like, oh, it's funny because Leo, like like Kate Winslet, is in love with Leo. And now <laughs> he's filming this film with Kent Winslet, who was Sam and his wife at the time. And it's like, he's just going to have to be there and be like, oh. Mm. <laughs> Ro- Road to Perdition is well worth checking out. Uh, I haven't actually seen that. Revolutionary Road, that's the film oh, okay. with Leo and Kate Winslet. Um, but yeah, American Beauty, Road to Perdition, The Kite Runner, I think. Uh, I think I've seen that. I think that's very underrated. But anyway, yeah, Sam Mendes is is great. His work on Skyfall and American Beauty particularly. Mm. Uh, we did American I'm Beauty at, a, at university. A disturbing lack of spectre. <laughs> I, 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 I skipped over it deliberately. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, so Sam Mendes immediately caught my attention because like we said, he's he's probably he's somebody working at the peak of his game yeah. at the minute. Um, and the one, one take aspect as well. Say it's such a unique thing to do. There was uh, obviously Birdman did it recently, and there was an independent film called. Uh, there was an independent film. I can't remember what it was called. It's not tan. It's not Tangerine, is it? There was a one take. Yeah, yeah, Tangerine. tangerine uh, the, what's his name now? Sean. Sean Baker. Something. That's the one. Sean Baker. <laughs> Reese with the assist. <laughs> Was that the one take that was done on an iPhone? Uh, I, I, I can't remember if it was a one take, but it was done on an iPhone because I've was, got the app that he used on my phone. There was a film that came out at the same time. We're so well prepared here. There was a film that came out at the same time, which which was definitely a one take film, a, an independent film. I think it was called like, oh, who knows? But like, it's not. My point is that it's not something that happens very often. So it was a really unique thing. Mm. Um, and like you said, they're going to approach a war film with this with this attempt. Attempt to do this with a war film is when you think of the scale of the production and the effects and just the sheer number of people that have to be involved in a war film in terms of extras and stuff like that to undertake, try and undertake one take film to do a war film was, um, I mean, yeah, I was like, okay, (laughs) this is bold. I mean, um, let's talk about the one take aspect. Um, I've seen some people, not, not everybody is, is as on board with this film as I think us three are. Mm -hmm. I have seen some, whisperings around the internet about some discontent in places the one take aspect i have seen mentioned a couple of times saying that it's detrimental to the, the to what they're trying to do with the story how about yourselves do you think it complements the narrative and the experience um having seen it now i don't think i could imagine it like being shot as a conventional kind of war yeah. movie like like take the intro for example you could have just done it close up on flower dolly back to person cut to profile two shot then cut to exterior camp but because you're in it immediately and you never leave these two characters always with them you're invested in it and i've seen some people comparing it to like a video game and i don't even think that's a detrimental comment either because i think the film uh, does have that level of immersion where you feel like you're really in it no i I think the whole the whole purpose of this film is is the is the experience it's the uh it's to make it feel like a day in the life of um you get the ups and downs you get the um because i've said that we'll get onto this later but i've seen that the the the, the pacing of the film is something else people have taken uh offense to but i think um there's somebody in the jump cut group chat i think it was fiona said that the whole point of the film is that it's about the fighting and the explosion but it's also about the banality and mm-hmm. the um 
this sort of lumbering sort of sense of, well, nothing's really happening right now, but oh my God, any minute with something, we could go over the top or somebody's going to come out of a building or someone's going to sh- shoot fire at you and you're going to have to take cover. Like it, it was just so absorbing. And I think for war films as well, where like we all know the horrors that went on, particularly in the world wars, because which is all in our parents or grandparents' lifetime, like the stories still exist about the world wars told by people who who were there and witnessed it and experienced it and i think this is as close as anybody who wasn't unlucky enough to fight in the world wars will ever ever get to knowing what it was like mm. um reese does it complement yeah to that extent does it complement the narrative for you and to add to the experience i think completely complements it i think like sam said i couldn't imagine it in any other way because i noticed it when I, I was really into it, obviously, since from the first frame, I think it's beautiful. But it was the um, initial No Man's Land crossing scene where yeah. they go through all the muddy water and you see, you see all the bodies and the dead horses and all sorts of that. And that puts you in this idea that war truly was disgusting and war was yeah. violent. War was truly hell. Um, and it was just that was when it was a combination of I was right behind them walking alongside them but I was also just marveling at the technical quality of it all at the same time. And it just really, really put the entire thing into this really ground level perspective, more than we've seen in many horror films, um, horror films, uh, war films um, since then, because you truly feel like one of the soldiers, which is a cliche, yeah. but you do feel like one of them. No, it's proper, it's proper boots on the ground, Absolutely. isn't it? Like the, that opening sort of five, however, six, however long minutes it is, where you start off with uh, Schofield and Blake at, uh, when they're having a kit over in the field or mm. by the tree, whatever they're doing, and you follow them in, and we spend the entire first 10 minutes of this film just walking through the trenches with them. It sort of uh, it sort of pinned at the scale of, of A, the production, obviously, from a, a film point of view, mm. but you forget just how many people were involved. And this is just one trench of thousands of trenches all over over, over Europe at the time. Like It just brings, brings it home how how many young men were were chucked into the front line and then because it is the beginning of the film as well in that opening 10 minute sequence when they were just walking through the trenches i was waiting for for them to get artillery fired onto them because i was like okay we need a if when you get told when you're writing a screenplay or pitching an idea for a a film it's like you need your grab the reader grab the audience Mm. by the by the and i was waiting for that to happen all the way through that uh that opening sequence in the trenches which again instilled that sort of feeling in me there's that that i'm sure they all the the people at the time all felt like mm. oh my god like there's nothing happening now but literally at any second that's what could. i thought was incredible was the fact that i remember colin firth when they when they get their instructions he literally says oh you've got about three miles where they've left they have gone and you don't you, you doubt it you don't believe him yeah so you spend that entire segment being like there are going to be people here there are they're going to run into someone and it doesn't happen and you're thinking oh so it, it this is how it goes and it just it has this way of somehow both telling you nothing's going to happen and it will still make you feel as on edge as you possibly want to be you you, you mentioned horror films earlier mm. um i think it does incorporate a lot of techniques i think sort of technically that uh from a f- just filmmaking point of view yeah. that horror films employ like the low crawl and um, uh, slow crawl sorry and when we follow in a horror film you get a blockbuster horror film you get a woman wakes up in a bedroom she goes to the door 
you follow her slowly out the door at a low angle so all the all the shadows and everything looks a bit distorted and you're following her and that's and that's what happens and all the time throughout that you're waiting looking in the shadows is there anything there i spent the entire 90 minutes 100 minutes two hours however long this was doing the exact same thing yeah every time they entered a, a derelict or seemingly derelict building together i was like oh my god looking at every single corner of the room whenever they were in a trench whenever um schofield's in the in the city of or town of Ecoust. Ecoust. well done <laughs> excellent french pronunciation um it was exactly the same all the way through in every single scenario that they found themselves i was like oh my god what is just hiding off screen yeah i don't know if you guys were the same um yeah just going off what you're saying off screen i think this is one of the strengths of the way the film is done as well it's not just about the horror of war as a violent act it's about the horror of what you don't see mm. and what you don't know is out there like when he first gets to the town before it turns into night he's just left that squadron thinks he's just going to manage to get through again with hopefully nobody there and then the gunshots ripples through and yeah it just installs that fear again it's, it's about the stuff you don't see and then the stuff that is left behind is the actual horror like you were saying i was about to say yeah um if you think of something like saving private ryan in that opening beach scene the horror of saving private ryan is the violence it's it's literally shoved down your throat in that opening half hour like with the blood and the guts and the people being dismembered and losing arms, legs, all sorts, intestines everywhere. Like, it's horrific. Where the horror in this is really subdued, but it's so powerful. It's it's about the decay and the, like you, like you said, Reese, the pure, just like how the disgusting mm. nature of war and what it leaves behind mm. more than the um, the actual like, sort of explosions fighting itself, um, which I thought was a really interesting take. Like, it was... It was a horror. F it's not a horror film, but there were some horror elements, like when they went into those first um, um, artillery uh, bunkers. Not oh, bunkers, but no, the, yeah, where um, where they were hiding in, in the and they're in the in the stagnant water, and there was skeletons there or rotting bodies and rotting horses and stuff like in them. It was it was horrific, mm -hmm. and these and you felt it because you were there with them. Um, that's the thing it's like <laughs> i don't know it's really difficult to explain but like because of the element of the one taken you go down into the pit with them and then you come up out of the pit with them and then you go through the barbed wire with them like you it's just i just think it's as close as we'll ever get to to understanding the horrors of what actually went on just like um, just thinking about it now like my head can't comprehend that there isn't a, like an actual cut in that film like when you think about where it starts to where it be where it ends up, I'm yeah. like I can't believe my eyes saw that in one smooth motion, pretty much. Like yeah, I the, on the only ob the only obvious cut is obviously the time jump yeah. when he's unconscious on the stairs. Yeah, um, and and it turns dark because Sam Mendes wanted to do oh. sick things with lighting, oh. which we'll get onto later. We need to talk about <laughs> so badly. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think there was only one that I noticed. Where I was like, okay, that's where they could have started and used it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was one where um, I'm going to call him Tommin Baratheon, uh, Tommin uh, Baratheon, because I can't think of his actual name. Blake. Uh, Blake. Blake. Yes. Uh, when Blake, when they were about to approach um, the orchard and the farm, and he looked up to the sky and we span around him, and then we went back down in, and I think I noticed one there. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, it's just 
it just boggles your mind it when does. you actually sit down and think about it and say, all right, okay, well, we started off with the tree and then they went through the trenches. Oh, there, yeah, and then they got out of the trenches and then they went into the bunker and then there was the explosion with the rats and then, oh, yeah, and then they went and then you just carry on I forever. Know. I know. There is a, a really, really sneaky snitch. Snitch? Stitch. There's a snitch in the film probably somewhere <laughs> amongst the ranks, but um, there's a stitch where as the the plane is coming towards them, and obviously the cameras behind them, they're running towards yeah. it. There's a stitch in that bit. No way. The cam- yes. Oh my god. So so as so obviously the the plane lands and it's on fire. Yeah. As they're approaching it, I think as the camera passes Blake's back, it starts a new shot oh, there yeah, and yeah. and goes into the practical plane to bring the two, bring the two to bring the two shots together. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, we'll talk about Blake and Schofield then, really, as our protagonists. We'll move on to that a little bit and away from the one-take thing. Um, one of the other aspects that I've seen people criticise is the narrative, um, and that is a bit short on substance. So... Um, in, <laughs> in that it's um, two guys, they get given a mission, uh, they walk across the field, uh, come across a few obstacles, and then deliver their message. Like, is that... Is the, do you feel like it was something that was sacrificed? Do you think the narrative was sacrificed slightly because of the technical craft on display and they couldn't so. do both? Obviously, you can't go too far reaching with hmm. a narrative and complement that with if you're going to go for something as technically bold as this. Do you think it was... it's, it's like I was saying earlier, you could have shot it the conventional way and if they did that, they could have shot it like the dialogue scenes between really like tight, emotional, close from the face when they're getting upset. But the fact that it is like that, I think it only it makes the story stronger because yeah. at the beginning at the beginning of the film i don't think it's necessarily clear that they are friends prior to those meeting yeah. them i think it literally was just the case he was the guy sat next to him mm. and that kind of speaks to how kind of unpredictable war is anyway mm. and the thrust into this situation and i think it only makes it stronger when we get to know them a bit and they do talk to each other are we going spoilers oh, yeah. Yeah. and then when uh, blake does die which i like in in retrospective now i've been seeing the trailers yeah, he's, not in, yeah. he's not in a lot of the footage yeah. i was about i was about to pick up on that when i watched the trailers i was like when i went to see this film because i was in so i was loving it so much i was like oh my god i don't want this to end um, so I was thinking about what scenes I'd seen in the trailers yeah. that we hadn't already seen. I was like, oh, we've still got that to go. We've still got that. Amazing. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't remember seeing Blake in any, in any <laughs> of those trailers. And then when they started talking about his mum's orchard as they were walking down towards the farm, I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, I didn't expect he would die there and then. Um, but I was like, he's not going to make it to the end um, because uh, I think Blake's fat, uh, obviously his family ties with um richard madden at the end that's what is your your um, emotional core mm. of it really it's 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 like and like look like again thinking about saving private ryan it's the the families the relations the relationships with each other it's the brotherhood with your actual brothers and your 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 your, your um, allies and people along the trenches with you but it's also uh, it's but yeah that scene as well where earlier you mentioned about how um war is the unseen part of it and what you don't know what's there Blake dies well off screen doesn't he like he gets stabbed, he he off, gets screen. stabbed off screen and that's yeah. another part it's... of the fact that we just didn't see the actual moment of it happening and I I thought the way his death scene was done was so well done and it's also yeah. the way that I don't know how I guess it's all CGI but the way the colour left his bo- his face 
when yes, he was I've in Schofield's <laughs> arms. I was like, this is horrific. Yeah. And also, talking about earlier when we talked about how it never leaves uh, the characters and that's that's so supportive of the, the both narrative that they go on in terms of getting from A to B, delivering message, but the personal journey that they go on. Mm. The aftermath of Blake's death, where uh, Schofield is suddenly picked up by these group of soldiers and we never once leave Schofield. Mm. Our, the camera is fixed on his face, reacting to what's just happened previously with Blake dying. Yeah with all this conversation and dialogue happening around him and joking between all these and the camera, if you just, I felt horrible when they were sitting in the back of that truck and just laughing and joking around. And if you just watch Schofield and the acting that George McKay is doing there, um, just, you can just see the life leave his, leave his face. It's horrible. You know, it makes that scene even more unbearable to watch is that when I was watching it, um, obviously they're driving away and the camera's looking out to the distance you can see his body in the background i noticed that as well (laughs) and there are a couple of times i i definitely cried once and there were a couple of times i got tearful uh and one of them was blake's death not because blake died but the way when the people came in afterwards and they just seemingly moved his body for some unknown reason and Mm. then just stopped but then i was like oh hang on and it's because Schofield had wanted to move him somewhere where, well, I read it as he moved them to move him somewhere where he could see an orchard because they moved him to the top oh, of the yeah. ridge where overlooking the orchard at the, at the other side of the valley. Mm. And he talked about his mum's orchard at home and stuff about the snow, uh, how it looked like it had been snowing and stuff and all mm. the blossom fell. And I was just like, oh my God, like, and it was just horrible. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, and going back to the point Sam made about, um, and what we've all made about how you don't see the the horrors of war in terms of the the death you see the you see the the result at the yeah. end of the decay the dead bodies like sam said there how being able to see blake he's there for a while on screen as they're driving away i noticed it as well that is really horrible and it's just and the just the cutthroat nature of it it's like okay blake's dead onto the next mission, yeah. onto the next setting. It's... I think the thing as well with the movie, I don't think it's particularly violent no, in a traditional not. nature. No. There isn't like a gunshot in the movie till at least half an hour, 40 minutes in. And in a lot of other war movies, it is mainly about the yeah. gunfight. In this, it's less It's less so about that and more so. It's. I would say it's more emotionally violent <laughs> than it is Absolutely. physically. Yeah. It's not- it's, it's, it's a weird balancing act between because all war films I think to an extent do the mission as story A and story B is the emotional journey that the protagonists go on whilst completing said mission mm. but I think this really really is that if you actually boil it down to one thing it is the emotional journey of, of Schofield I think because I think if you start with him at the beginning he's kind of like blase kind of it, or he doesn't really sort of, sort of even acknowledge Blake that much. I think there's quite a few times where Blake's like just talking at him <laughs> about things. And Schofield's like, oh yeah, cool, cool, yeah, great. And then you end up at this, and then obviously you get end up at the final, his final resting point, which is under the tree. But before that, you get um, this conversation with Richard Madden, Blake's older brother, and everything that's gone between, I think, is the crux of the story. It's it's mission get from point A to point B, right. but I think Schofield's emotional journey is is the core of this film absolutely which isn't which isn't unique in war films i don't think but um like sam said it's not focusing on 
the active violence, the shooting, the blowing up. It's like what's left behind. Because at the end, we don't know if Schofield is is discharged after that and sent home for his bravery or whether he has to go back into the front line afterwards. My theory um, is that um, at that point, that's when he died because he put his infected hand into a dead body when he after he, he had did. his fence had a fence go through his hand that was my one thought in the entire film was that because he'd had his hand pierced and then he put his hand inside a body i was like he's going to die of infection at the end of this film so <laughs> give me big red dead redemption 2 vibes <laughs> um yeah so i think i think it's schofield's journey is it is the crux of this yeah because he let's talk about it for a minute he goes through a lot <laughs> in this film like you said the beginning he gets dragged along sort of against his own will to go and um, do this mission mm. with a guy oh did we start what do you think are they friends because there's a lot of exposition that happens between them like they say oh I got rid of my medal and stuff like that which if they were best friends and had as much time in the trenches with alongside each other as you do I thought they would have already had these conversations I don't think they're like proper friends prior to us meeting them I think they've maybe been in each other's presence for maybe a couple of days yeah if maybe a week and they just and like he said when yeah. they when they escaped the bunker why did you pick why? me did you pick me yeah oh, you were there bro exactly <laughs> that's how war happens yeah. like we don't wait around um so yeah we'll do, do two kill but kill two birds with one stone we'll talk about schofield's journey and what he goes through and then talk about what our favorite scenes are as well there's only one answer um, for that question <laughs> <laughs> so he starts off in the trenches like we said he cuts his hand open on on some barbed wire puts his body in uh, his hand in a dead german's body um loses his best friend well f- best friend that he's got in in um in blake gets swept up in this group with Mark Strong and then these uh, other people that he, he has no, even though they're his allies, he has no connection to them whatsoever. He's so distant from all of them. Like, even when they get grounded uh, and they have to all push the truck, it's like, they're not on the same page, even though they're on the same team. Mm. Um, And yeah, and then obviously he gets to Akust. Was that right? Akust. And then... And then he escapes Acoust and going down the river, which is horrible. Uh, and then he has... Oh, sorry. In Acoust, he has the, the trauma of meeting the young French girl oh. and the baby, which we thought was the French girl's baby. And then it just turns out, well, no, it's, I don't know. It's just our baby that I found and I'm looking after, which is horrible. Yeah. Um, and then he fr- goes down the river and ends up in a pile of bodies at the bottom of the river at a dam, which is even more horrible. Uh and then he has that really poignant moment when he climbs out and he hears the singing and oh my god he goes through so much mm. um and then obviously the emotional co- conversation with blake the elder i don't know what he's actually what is his name do we know lieutenant blake no, lieutenant I remember. blake that'll do richard madden rob stark uh <laughs> uh yeah so on his journey which is your favorite sequence or scene if you had to pick one uh you know what? It's quite a small moment, but I've been thinking about it quite a lot. And it's it's just after he jumps in the lake, there's some blossoms mm. next to him and all the things. And it, it, I think when you connect it back to Blake early in yeah. the movie, it was just a nice little moment where he could just reflect when he got on down, that. When he got down the river. Yeah. Yeah. And it was yeah, and it was still. And, the blossoms and then as he kind of climbs out, the singing is. Kind of, kind of like a bit of solace yeah. for a short while. Yeah, it's, it's 
the singing was haunting, by the way. I did, like in a comforting way, but also in a in a I don't know, ha- yeah, haunting way. Is I found it really simultaneously disturbing and and comforting yeah. at the same time. About you, Ian? Um, I think as a moment for the character, I think the entire scene when he meets the French girl is incredible. Um, and it really it, it you add kind of new light to it after you discover that he's got his own family that he keeps you know in his in yeah. his little uh, pocket in his chest. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like the the small moment of um, when he earlier on when he took the milk from the uh, the bucket and then yeah. the woman's like he needs milk and then he's like I've got milk. I just thought that <laughs> moment milk. was just so sweet and it was like a rare moment of kindness. You know, for these two people where it's like he can do something good for her and she's great for what he's done for her and it was just such a nice moment um and that was just in the middle of probably potentially one of the greatest scenes i've seen in film all year and not in 2020 i mean since last year um yeah with the whole acoust stuff so. i think yeah just talk about the juxtap- juxtaposition of acoust and that basement where he meets the french girl it's just it boils everything like we've seen like such a spectacle beforehand like because war war is a grim spectacle like especially on film like it's always because film is made to be entertainment Mm. and um we want to be entertained we want to see and sort of be slack jawed at the whole experience because we're all quite weird animals and creatures really <laughs> who'd like to delve into that kind of thing but do you know what i mean like war films are are a spectacle yeah. and we've up to that point we've seen a lot of sort of spectacular things and sequences with the old explosion in the bunker and the no man's land scene but i think that scene with the french girl just boils everything down to the level where at the end of the day war involves people mm. you quite often forget that especially in a film that it's these are uh that the, the, these are people they're human characters and war affects people at a completely sort of base level and they that just a lot of again a lot of it's not a technique or a scene that is like is unique here like you see loads of war films where the your protagonists are marching across the countryside and come across a, a french family hiding in a barn somewhere mm-hmm. but it just really reinforces the human tragedy and the yeah. human uh, despair of it all especially given the fact that that child was the baby wasn't hers it's clearly lost its parents or its parents have left it um and it's just pure human kindness and goodness that she's found this baby taking it on when she's not even got enough food for herself um and then obviously what we said knowing about Schofield's family later on as well um the way he gave the majority of his rations over to the two of them and the milk as well and just like take it because yeah. it's just people trying to help out one another in desperate situations but we'll move on to the acoust bit i know you want to talk about this because it, it looked it was it was pretty good wasn't oh it? my days like <laughs> the second it started when the camera slowly zooms out the window of that tower he was kind of he nearly got killed in and then you've got the flares shooting up, setting off these really weird shadows on the ground. And mm-hmm. and then you've got the fire in the distance and then the soundtrack swells up. You're like, I don't know where to look at this point. And yeah. I think that entire sequence is one of the best things I've ever seen because it was just, the fact it was all one take as well, 
just adds even more to it. If that was just if that was in a film that had regular cuts, it would have still looked impressive. But the fact that it was all done in one smooth shot was, oh god, I don't know how to explain <laughs> how much I adored that sequence. And it's one of those things that I'm going to come back to time and time again when I when it comes out on Blu-ray. I'm going to watch that sequence just from start to finish. 50,000 times, <laughs> you know? And it's, oh, I, I could watch that forever. The way um, they made it as well, if you watch um, this video on YouTube, they actually, because they had to figure out how to project that kind of light mm. realistically. I mean, they're bending a few rules with how shadows are portrayed, but, um, but they actually built a miniature set, like a model set, which is accurate to what you see in the film and basically got loads of different like mini lights and shone them around it to see how the light would spin around the set yeah and then that's how they basically just went about it and yeah blew his minds the the scale of the whole film is remarkable but that scene particularly is just for me i think that's where the film truly cements yeah. itself as like saying yes i am a really fucking good film <laughs> <laughs> that's when it takes its shirt off stands on stage and says look at me echoing what reese said as well about the soundtrack it just hits you yeah like a punch to the gut as soon as it just does that really amazing swell when the lights uh, when the flares go up like it's, it was dreamlike and nightmarish at the same time yeah. it was like a it was like it felt like you're on acid mm. or something like it was so bizarre but beautiful at the same time uh like you said the shadows that they managed to create and the way they distorted it was just oh i, I i'm a bit kind of lost for words for it. Yeah. I, I, from a technical point of view i don't know how on earth you begin to go about doing that so i can't really talk about that i like how it went from that as well into the kind of signature silhouette style yeah. of deakins oh. as well and then, like, there's a way to shoot particular colours, and I think the way he captures like yellows and blues as well. It rem- the bit where he's in front of the burning tower reminded me of Skyfall quite a bit yeah. at the end, with a uh, Bond running away from his house, which is actually on fire as well. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was good that it kind of segued from this kind of something a bit different for Roger Deakins, actually, the kind of way they shot that into the more traditional yeah. kind of vision you see from him. Then there was also yeah. the fact that with that with that silhouette bit when he sees looks onto the burning building and you've got the cross in the foreground and then you see that yeah. strange dark figure approaching it. Oh, don't, is, don't. Is he foe? <laughs> is he friend? And then he That's shoots horrifying. at it. Oh my God. Oh, I just... Uh, the fact that you have to get within 20 mm. yards of each other before you could tell. Right like, is that my friend or is oh. he going to shoot me in the head? Like, it was horrible. That cross you just mentioned, I thought that was a cross. I don't think it actually... I really... Because I was like, oh. Because obviously war and religion go hand in hand, yeah. but that's a completely different topic. Um, I don't think it was actually a cross. I think it was a fountain. I think so but, too. But they made it look mm. a hell of a lot <laughs> like, like a cross, um, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, again, playing on the shadow idea um, and uh, stuff. But yeah, that sequence where the German is stood in front of the big, it's like a town square, isn't it? Yeah. It's the big whatever building it is. And, and again... It's, we haven't talked about the sound yet, but when that bullet again just rip, rips past his head <laughs> at that point and earlier before when he's manoeuvring his way over the broken bridge into a goose, the sound design and the, the effects, again, Sam, you saw it in the same screen I did with the IMAX as well, so I don't know if that was exacerbated and made better for us than for you, Reese, because oh. you saw it in plain simpleton, simple man <laughs> cinema. Um, but the sound design in, it's different points well, as well. We mentioned horror films earlier. I think... 
917 has three or four of the most effective jump scares I've ever seen in my entire life. Like Don't when know. the rat explodes in the barracks and yeah, all sorts, hell. that <laughs> made me shit my pants. And it was, oh God. It's, cause, it's because it kind of cut, I can't remember if it was Schofield or Blake who was talking at the time. It just cut their their sentence in half because mm. I was expecting them to just finish that. They were, and then, yeah, that was, that was, that was horrible. Yeah. What are the other ones? So I can really. Well, you've got like the bit when he first gets shot at when he's crossing that bridge into Ekus for the first yeah. time. Um, yeah. And then I, I even jumped when he opened the door and then the German that was on the floor shot at him. That made me jump as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, I think it was the gunshots. The gunshots were so loud and they just, they but because, because they just felt so real, didn't they? They felt as if these have shot actual bullets. And I really loved yeah. the bit as well, just before he goes into that tall tower, when you don't know where the shot's coming from until he kind of spots it. And even then, you can see the faintest glimmer of a helmet in the window. Yeah. You've got to strain your eyes to really see it, but you know it's there. And then you you know also when he finally hits his mark and he gets him. And you just, oh my God, I could talk about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like we're saying with the IMAX, and just because of that, um, when the first gunshot is fired him, I was like trying to figure out where, where is the geography of this bullet? Because it's such a rippling effect. Mm. And I, I couldn't place it. I was thinking, is he down the, the little ridge? Is he in the building? Where where is he? Yeah. And that just, and that it was, and a wide point off that that just exemplifies how immersive the film is, because we spend the entire time, uh, like Sam said earlier, Sam Mendes said I could have just filmed it from behind them, or I could have done it the way I did it, where you're circling around them all at different points. Mm. It becomes not disorientating in a oh my god I feel sick watching this way, but when you're in that setting like Acoust, um, it's particularly later on when it gets dark, but in that moment as well, it becomes so disorientating, like, oh, like Sam said, where, where, where's he getting fired on from? Yeah. Uh, I can't see anybody, but I, I can hear it, and <laughs> I saw it, and like, where's the bullets coming from? And then it, and it just happens again, and again, and again, because it's relentless, and war is relentless, and he's not going to stop until you stop him, and you're not going to stop until he stops you. So it's just this, painful sort of process they have to go through where it's like well one of us isn't making us out of it there's another great moment as well again in this acoustic like part of the film uh where he's, he's out running the the guy and he goes into that little warehouse and he has to suffocate oh. like the other soul but you were just saying about the lighting and not being able to quite tell who's on your side and the drunk officer sees him like clearly choking the shit out of this guy but he's still not sure and he has to come he has to come close and then he just runs off yeah that was that was horrifying as well i knew i knew he was gonna shout as soon as he let his yeah. like, hand off his mouth like come on yeah. never trust a nazi <laughs> <laughs> that's a life lesson um yeah there we've mentioned it so but there were so many moments where you could just feel your heart literally like about to jump out of your throat yeah. it was just so intense and i think we keep going back to it but i think that one take nature of the film just really really complements that um because you've had the dips the at uh, the dips in sort of narrative tension where it's it's him walking across the countryside or sat in the back of a truck whilst everyone's having a chat around him and then you're thrown into this cool well, yeah, going into, into hell on earth. I think if um, I had a complaint about the film, which would make it go from a 10 out of 10 to a 9.9, .9, would be <laughs> the fact that we saw the the final big run scene in the trailer. 
I think if that had been completely kept quiet and we'd seen that first time in the film, that would have just completely cemented it as one of the best films ever made. Because the way they shot that film, I've seen that video that's been on Twitter for the uh, past yeah, few days. Yeah, with the side-by-side. Side. Yeah, so yeah. many times. And every time there's something new you notice about how they made it. And it's... I've seen that, oh. yeah, I've seen that video on my timeline about, yeah, 20, 30 times. Yeah. And I have sat down and watched it yeah. in its entirety <laughs> every single time. <laughs> I think what blows my mind as well, I, think, I don't know what shot specifically where it changes, but for the majority of the movie, it is one lens. Mm. just a 40 millimeter lens and they, they say that 50 millimeter is the closest to what the eye sees mm. so i think that adds an, another layer or emerging too and the way light reacts to different lenses and kind of the distortion around the edge of it yeah. because it is the way they've chose to do it as well i think it just makes it more impressive and the fact when you think about like the editing and stuff as well and i was saying earlier that you could have done the traditional way where you have four different shots for a specific scene the fact that they're using these this one lens which is quite a tight lens anyway to get all these different shot types mm -hmm. within a one take scenarios so you've got your wide your close-ups your extreme close-ups and your establishing shots just all in the same maneuver this insane it's genius i can't i can't even begin to comprehend the amount of work and planning mm. and production that has gone into making this film because war films, as I've said before, the scale of them is remarkable. Uh, the big budget war films, um, even when you're doing a, a more stereotypical shoot and stuff like that. But I can't even I can't comprehend what went into this from a technical point of view into making this film no. and to get the end result that they've got. It just absolutely boggles my head. Do like sorry to cut you off, but uh, do you think I've seen this going around as well? having kind of like bigger name actors in some of the other roles makes it distracting to an extent like we get to the end and it's benedict cumberbatch kind of thing i was going to talk about the cameos a little bit um i don't think it was distracting to me because i never i don't i don't know i don't think i ever sit that if the performance is good enough i don't sit there and think oh i'm watching andrew scott mm. do you know what i mean um I don't think so. Although the way that they are sort of revealed, like we leave one and then somebody pops up for two <laughs> minutes and then we, it's kind of like, oh shit, it's Mark Strong. Well, oh, I knew it was Mark Strong because viewers conditioned me just to hear his voice and know it's him. <laughs> uh, I don't think it. If, I don't think it bothered me. No, it didn't bother me either. Um, it just it seemed quite natural, and um, it was, I like the fact that they they only had small roles, so they couldn't really dominate. Yes. And it was also the entire way yeah. it was George McKay's film. So it was just yeah, and then I also I even I think, liked I know I think Fiona said she didn't like the um the Cumberbatch scene at the end, but I did like the fact that after everything Schofield's been through, the last thing a high rank officer says to me is just to fuck off, you know? Yeah. Like he's he's travelled <laughs> across the great. country to get to this message and he gets told to fuck off. Like that oh, is heartbreaking. Oh yeah. man. And I think I think actually, if we talk about those cameos again just for a little bit, I think Benedict Cumberbatch was great in yeah. that little bit. When Schofield turned up, I was not a hundred percent convinced that Mac that Mackenzie um, Cumberbatch was going to be saying was call it off. I there was a moment when I thought, oh shit, mm. this is all going to be for nothing because you could see it in his eyes. He was like, oh, I don't really want to call it off. I genuinely thought he was gonna. I thought it was all going to have been for nothing, uh, which is testament to Cumberbatch. 
Andrew Scott, by the way, like excellent. That's like the best five minute cameo in anything I've yeah. ever seen ever. Like he's so good. His character is so well written in that five minutes. Yeah. Um, I love the bit he said about it, when you if you get shot at, throw my flare gun back. I've lost too many of these already. Yeah. That was so funny. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like if you do get shot, crawl over back and we'll come and get you when it's dark. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Scott was great. He was. Uh, he he is just great. Everything he, Andrew Scott touches. Yeah. Just old. Um, is there any? Uh, we'll talk about McKay, McKay a little bit. Uh, he's phenomenal. Isn't he? I think he's got the most expressive eyes in all of Hollywood. Mm. I don't think I've ever watched a film and been so sort of focused or drawn to somebody's eyes. Like you could see every every sort of emotion through George McKay's eyes. Mm. I thought he was he was great. I think I think to be honest, I think he's really unlucky not to be in, uh, be getting critical acclaim. I think in so award too. Season. I think he because he carries he carries it. Yeah, he's in every shot of the film, um, and he's also incredibly moving in the entire way, um, and I think he's also harsh to miss out. But then, to be fair, that best best actor category is particularly strong. It's stacked. This um, yeah. Like we've with no Taron Egerton. Like, who would you take out for both Tara Eggerton and George McKay, and you know? McKay. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but like we said, for somebody who is on screen, every single frame mm. of this film, um, he's the work he does to, to keep the narrative pushing forward. Because there are times where the narrative is, is in a bird commas, slow, where we're following him walking through the woods on his own, or we've got watching him navigate a staircase or something but do you know what i mean but it never never once lulled mm. there were there were moments of slow narrative but i never th- thought once oh like okay like can we move on to the next set piece i now? agree yeah and i think george i think mckay's performance is testament to that i think he's just embodies everything and again if we talk about this as being um a mission for to get from point a to point b disguised as as being a um, a story about one man's emotional journey, uh, I think McKay just plays every every note of this perfectly. So I don't know if you, if you agree. No, I agree, and just uh, I would maybe counterpoint your point about expressive eyes with uh, Tom Hardy. <laughs> you reckon? I think so. Uh, specifically in Locke. Have you seen Locke? Yeah, Locke. That, that's to say, that's just because that that is just him yeah. in the car kind of thing, and and a lot of it. I mean, he's just obviously talking it, but a lot of it is him thinking and you get the sense of what he's going through just through his eyes. Now, who would have guessed that Tom Baratheon would be would be the breakout star of, of Game of Thrones? <laughs> um, he, well, it just shows that having a good heart uh, pays dividends. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, he, well, compared to his brother, he was good. Um, so yeah, he, he again. He's he again. He's only there for the first third of the third film, but he does some really good stuff as well. I think. I, what I found really interesting was afterwards when I was talking about it, that I, I remembered how little he's in the trailer, and then when you're watching his bits of the film, when he's crossing no man's land, he doesn't look the most elegant of soldiers, and I think that was on for yeah. a reason. And I think compared yeah. to like George uh, Schofield, who was you know survivor of the Somme and all that kind of stuff. Like, he was a bit... I don't want to say he was dragging him down, but he was not the man for the job, was he? You yeah. know? And that became no, no, evident. You know? And I thought that was... Yeah. He played that role really well, though. It was just the guy who was... He, he didn't realise how serious a job he was doing until yeah. shit hit the fan with the plane. He, yeah, he was like he was like the baby-faced 
baby face sort of exactly. uh, innocent going in with with hope and because yeah. he, he they've they even made I don't know how old um, Dean Charles Chapman is compared to George Mackay but it can't be more than what eight ten years between them but there was a distinct look between the two of them like they made they made uh, Blake look really really young yeah. and baby faced and innocent and Mackay a little bit more hardened and weathered mm. um, and I think they offset each other perfectly. Like when when they were talking about when Mackay had given away his uh, medal of valor or whatever it was to a French uh, to a French uh, general in exchange for a bottle of wine, mm. like that just perfectly encompassed those two characters together. When Blake was like, "Well, why on earth would you do that? Like, it's a medal. Like, that's you've earned that. That's for your family. Like, that, you can go home and say how proud you were." And he's like, "Well, yeah, but I wanted a bottle of wine." So. <laughs> <laughs> like, it just shows at what point in the journey of experiencing war those two characters were at, and how distant they were. Uh, a complaint I did have coming out of it was that I, I, I didn't cry enough. Which <laughs> oh, I, I bobbled like a baby. Which, in it. Um, again, I keep harking back to Saving Private Ryan. But it's one of my favourites of all time, so I will I will do forever. Um I can still watch that every single time and ball my eyes out. Um both when um Matt Damon has his moment when he's reminiscing about his brothers or when uh, Tom Hanks dies at the end. Um I can watch that every single time and I have watched that every single time and cried. Hmm. Um and there was it didn't have me sobbing. I think that was my only complaint that I have about. I think story. for me, I was too exhausted to cry. <laughs> I, 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 was, I went. I went home and had a nap. I'm not even joking. <laughs> I was exhausted after this film. I'm not even. Joking. I went home and watched. I went home and put the football on the telly uh, and had a nap for about an hour. I just fell asleep because yeah. I was exhausted. Becky um, made a really good point actually when we watched it. Um, all us and like rest of the aunts sat there for about ten minutes till oh, the yeah, lights right. came. Mm. Like I was crying anyway, so I needed like a minute to just be like, okay, it's time to go back outside. But um, we all just sat there for like ten minutes. Nobody got up, got the things, or started talking until the lights came up. I was about to, that was exactly the same experience I had in my screening. Um, the bit in the middle where it cuts to black for it feels like an eternity. Mm. Uh, in, when they do the time jump, um, you could literally hear the entire cinema like stop. Yeah. Like everybody who was chomping on some cob popcorn or whatever, or having a drink, just stopped in their tracks, and like you could hear everybody's breathing at that point, and it was exactly the same when it ended. Um, apart from this one, this one woman and her child or son, not child because it was fifteen, obviously, but like they got up and walked out, like as Schofield went and met. Richard Madden. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is literally the emotional payoff of the film. Like, you're running away. Maybe they're scared of their emotions. Um, but yeah, that is a side, the same experience in my screening as Sam's. Nobody moved yeah. for a long time. It was, it was at least until like, the actual rolling credits came up. Yeah, and the lights came up. I think, I think what hit home to me, I think, at the end was when um, Sam, it came up that the story was based on the stories that Sam Mendes is, I think it's his grandfather, yeah, his grandfather, had told him. And you always forget when you're watching a film that it's kind of like, we all love film because it's escapism and we can do, we can live different lives and do see things that we wouldn't get to see in our everyday lives. And so you kind of forget that this kind of film is based on 
real stories from real people and when that came up at the end i was just like oh like it's not a direct story that that uh mr mendez senior senior had told him but it was influenced by people that he knew and stories that he'd heard yeah. and stories that he'd retold to sam mendez and i was just like and that's the final sort of hit on the head or whatever the saying is that it's just like wow like this is real stuff that real people experienced and and as 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 um enveloping and as immersive as an experience in a film like this is we will never ever ever experience or understand what those men and women went through Mm. um in particularly the world wars but every single war since it's um the same i don't know what your screening was like reese was yours the same was yours just stunned silence at the end it was um there was there was one point that was very funny um earlier on in the film when when they're in the german um trench and they kick over the bucket and there's like still burning ash in there um yeah and then in the all everyone in the audience suddenly did like a softer like intake like there's someone nearby. There's Jeremy. Yeah, I, ga- I gasped really but, loudly when he kicked it. But what made it so funny was that there was a guy sat literally two seats next to me. It went to his partner, whoever was next to me, being like, not long gone. I was like, in that voice? I was like, mate, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Last point we're making it before we discuss our ratings, which I'm pretty sure we can all guess it. Yeah. But... It was those little subtle moments that spark that spark such fear mm. in you, like the ash in the bucket. Oh, it's just the connotations that that, that brings with it. Um, yeah, five stars all round. Yes, uh, by a mile, by a mile, by a mile, and we're all rooting for nineteen seventeen to win both film yeah. and director yeah. and multiple other things, cinematography as well. Oh, if it doesn't win it's that, for, yeah, oh. it's big for me. It's between that and the lighthouse, but the one that probably deserves it is nineteen seventeen. Roger Deakins is second. It will be his second Oscar <laughs> win if he gets it. <laughs> and then, and then, thankfully, he finally got it for what he should have got for Blade Runner, yeah. which we all know is a, just again like this another amazing technical achievement. Yeah. So if he wins again, I'll, I'll be elated. It'll be about time. He should have about fifty by now. He should. We'll move on. <laughs> um, we'll move on to some public reactions to see if they're all in the same boat as us. Um, just a few of them here that replied to us on Twitter, which you can find us at uh, Jumpcast underscore for those of you who aren't already following. Um, Josh Barton said it left him breathless, truly stunning, and would be a deserved Best Picture winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Payton said, I think it's one of the most astonishing films I've ever seen. I was hooked from the cr- off and cried during and after. An incredible cinematic experience. Um, David Evans said, I absolutely love this movie. So moving. The way it was shot, a single take for a long time means you feel the energy and you feel exhausted by the time they reach somewhere already going to be one of the best films of the year Absolutely. so i think that's pretty resounding and we'll very 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 briefly we'll keep it to one or two films where does 1917 sit in the pantheon of great war films oh we talking comparison uh you can compare if you want oh. but uh, does it belo- i assume we all agree it belongs in the upper, upper oh I, d- I definitely think it belongs up there hmm. uh, i think it was a uh... Stan from Jump Cut, the the other Nick, <laughs> the other Nick who um, was saying the other day, um, Team Nine Seventeen or Dunkirk as well, and I was thinking I I think I do prefer Nineteen 
17. I, I and I would rate them both the same. I think they're both five out of five. Yeah. But for I, different for different reasons, but I think 1917 just takes it. I, I prefer 1917. I wasn't... I, I thought Dunkirk was an astonishing achievement in as much as this is, but I didn't... It's the Nolan film that I've liked least over the last however mm. many years. Mm. I didn't... I don't know. For some reason, it just didn't strike a chord with me. Um, and that's not any slight on it, as I said, as as a film or as a technical achievement. But there was just something I, I didn't didn't strike with me about Dunkirk. Um, I've mentioned Saving Private Ryan, which I think is a is a um, is a precedent which yeah. has a pre- oh you could hold any war film up to and compare it to Saving Private Ryan to see how it matches up because I think that is. Um, I think that's pretty much as good as it gets in terms of um, story. Uh, the it's a different kind of horror of war, but that first, that opening beat scene is it's it's oh it, yeah <laughs> I don't even have the words. Um, and again, that's down to the boots on the floor type yeah. type way it was shot that you're 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 in the firing line there. Um, a couple of other films I mentioned that I really like. I think uh, David Ayer's Fury is really underrated. I think, uh, well, it's got John Bernthal in it for starters, so that's a media massive plus <laughs> for me. Um, I think, and Sheila Buff's great in that as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good ensemble cast there. Um, it's a bit it's a bit macho, Fury. I don't think it'll be everybody's cup of tea, um, but I I think that's a really underrated war film. I think a couple more I've got. Fury's great. Or I'll pass on to you. F- yeah, Fury's great, but I I will never forget is there's one like tank shootout scene where all the like the bullets are like red and green. Yes, and I've like so I've so never so understood it? why. Yeah. yeah, I've never noticed. Oh, that. watch it again. Yeah. It's so bizarre. It's like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's the scene where it's where they come out of the woods, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, two two German tiger tanks in the field on the other side, and then they have that. Fight in the field. I've never, I've, I've never, never honestly. That. You need to yeah, go back to watch it. it. I, I will now purely for this. <laughs> um, it's less about war as a thing and more about the person. But Downfall, I think, is a great film about Adolf Hitler. Mm. Uh, German awful. film, I would highly recommend. Um, when I used to go to Germany on exchange trips, um, I watched it over there for the first time. Um, uh, with the family that I stayed with because their belief system and I think the education belief system is ger- in Germany is that this thing happened we need to educate people as to why this thing happened mm. and why it can never happen again and downfall it, you must, you've, you've probably seen a scene from it it's a very oh yeah there's that meme scene, scene yeah yeah, where you've got Hitler kicking off all his generals they're right everybody who does this get out and he's like and he just kicks off so if you haven't seen Downfall, 100% watch Downfall. And the same, similar ilk, not about fighting in war, is The Pianist, which again, I know is not really cool to say anymore because of the Polanski yeah. um, involvement, but I think The Pianist is a great film. It is really good. Um, and uh, I'll go for a classic as well, and before I hang over to you, hand over to you guys, um, I think All Quiet on the Western Front, mm. the 1930 version, um, is... is is one of the best war films ever made. It's um, it's incredibly moving and well made. Um, again, especially considering that it was made now what eighty or oh, ninety years ago. Um, it's amazing. It's got an iconic shot of um, of a pair of hands, seven hands, stuck on some barbed wire, mm-hmm. 
which uh, there was no body attached, which is it's um, which again at the time in nineteen thirty was was quite something. So those are my my uh, nominations. If we we've kind of stuck to world wars there, which you don't have to. Mm-hmm. If we were branching out into wars, I'd go I, uh, wars historical wars of all thousands of years ago. <laughs> I like Troy. I think Troy's a guilt. Troy's a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, three hundred is great as well, but I'll leave it up to you guys to the. the to set the parameters best war films well before i get to my uh particularly spicy oh, one yes, you spicy um too. i will start with one that i do think is very underrated enemy at the gates oh, with yes, Jude Law. great film yes uh, it's been a while since i've watched it but again that's a, a really good one just uh kind of similar to this as well the the horror of the unseen what you can't see is him in deep in the trenches trying to get the best kind of vantage and you just don't know you are in Mm. in the over his shoulder experiencing that he's a, he's a sniper he's a sniper but there's a there's a rival sniper on the other side who's like as good as him yeah. and it's it's kind of like this I was just trying to I was just trying to it's, it's not so much like a game of one-upsmanship but they're aware of each other and it's about them eventually kind of crossing paths yeah that's really good uh, Inglorious Bastards great show yes. I would put in there as well Go army moment. I've only seen it once. It's one of those Tarantino films that I really, I remember really right, liking and want should and know I should go and revisit. Um, I have only seen it once, but I do. Remember it. And uh, Fury, like you said, and now for for the the spicy one, it's it's not it's not it's not a war film. Okay. It's more of a football hooligan drama. Is it Green Street? It is Green Street. <laughs> <laughs> because it's about, it's the war of football teams. <laughs> the war of football hooligans against each other for supremacy. And it's, it's... and it's not just about that. Like we've got, we've got these two leads that yeah. develop this bond for a whole, you got Elijah Wood as the naive American journalist who meets Charlie Hunnam's fantastically cockney football <laughs> hooligan. One of the worst accents of all time. You got to stand your ground and fight. If that doesn't scream war to you, then what does? I mean, it's, 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 it's animalistic, raw, just knuckle. It's pretty violent. It is violent. It's, it's human humanity at its most. I mean, it end, the film ends with a climactic battle on a, like a trench battlefield of sorts. <laughs> it's it's boots. It's Adidas on the ground. That's what it is. <laughs> Adidas and Lonsdale hoodies on the ground. Um, I like it. Left field, but I like it. Question is, have you seen Green Street sequel? No. Oh, don't bother. But, oh, Reese. No, I was told <laughs> Green Street 2, whatever it's called, was, wasn't that bad. It's, I think I've seen one of the Green Street, one of Green Street sequels is set in a prison. That might be the one I've been told about. Yeah, yeah it, it's not good. <laughs> Leave it a great, just, just live in ignorance that any of the Green Street sequels exist. Reese. Um, I've, I've never seen Green Street as a tragic. <laughs> you know? uh, no, I've never seen it. Um, oh. I should watch it, but so I I put picked up four. One of them was um, Saving Private Ryan, which is one of the classics. Yeah. And I think my, my friend from work has actually watched it for the first time recently, and she's yeah. been obsessed with it since then. She's just talking about all these different scenes, and I'm kind of like reliving it through her, which is amazing. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing. So my three other picks were I only saw it for the first time last year, but I saw these um, the re-release Final Cut of Apocalypse Now, which was pretty yeah. sensational. Um, mm-hmm. and it, that was one of those films that it was nearly three hours long but I was completely hooked by it the entire way through 
Um, and I just think I love the way that particularly particularly in the last like half, the last third, I guess, in the final act, um, the spoiler alert, the Marlon Brando appearance um, is kind of like portrayed as a bit like a monster movie where he is this kind of like dominating Godzilla type, you know, creature that is overlooking his kingdom. And it's amazing. Um, so that's one of the it's best. On my, it's on my to watch list. Oh, it's phenomenal. Um, I've got the I've got I've got the DVD waiting at home. It's just yeah, definitely when it's when it's something like a classic like Apocalypse Now, it's building up the courage mm. to, yeah. to watch it. At this point, uh, I've lived twenty six years of my life and not watched it. When is the right? Movie? It's fantastic. But it's definitely it's on my watch list. Um, so. My second pick is um, Hacksaw Ridge, which I think is very underrated. Um, I did like Hacksaw. I was going to put that on my list actually. And it's, well, I was telling my friend about it today, and I was just uh, the way that it's kind of like made i know i think this is what it was actually like but the way that the ridge itself is up on up on top of a cliff and then they go onto this empty um war battlefield and all of the shit that hits the fan when they're up yeah. there is so brutal and violent and andrew garfield's really good in it and it's just he it's is. a great film i know mel gibson is better left you know unsaid um, <laughs> with the sensing of theme here, I'm Roman Polanski. I'm leaving him aside. You can leave um, him. But yeah, Hacksaw Ridge is really good. And then my my third, but well, my fourth pick, um, that is also a bit left field, but it is still a war film, is uh, Tropic Thunder. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm fully on board with that. <laughs> I think Tropic Thunder is it's hilarious, and it's got some really good war scenes in it, um, and it's a very very entertaining film and it's got one of the all-time best comedic performances from Robert Downey Jr. So I think... Trump, Trump Thunder's my catcher in the ride, oh, Reese. absolute <laughs> class, mate. I love Trump Thunder. I think I've seen it twice. I watched it the first time and didn't like it. And then I said, you can't have watched it properly. And I watched it again and I didn't realise it. It's so quotable. Oh, it's so funny. I couldn't tell you a quote. I, I, there's this one, one, one moment I think about like all the time and I don't know why it's just like wrote down to you like you ever seen Rambo 2 you look shredded man you look shredded like a Julianne Caesar <laughs> Tom Cruise is in that right at the beginning isn't he he's in it all he's the way through, through yeah. he, oh I like Tom Cruise's character I think he's funny mm. in that Matthew uh, McConaughey as well yeah he's in it I know it's got I know it's got a great cast it's just oh people know my opinions on comedy that's films fair. so that's I do well um yeah, so I can't really think of anything, any uh, major emissions that we've... Like, there's probably loads of people like, what about Thin Red Line? Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm buzzing off for of Tropic Thunder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that just about finishes uh, today's episode. I'm just going to do a quite a tiny little bit of admin before the end. As some of you may know, uh, we now have a Patreon channel up and running um, where you can donate... Uh, money on a monthly basis is either three dollars a month five dollars a month or ten dollars a month each of those tiers comes with specific perks with it uh if you donate to the most uh the most biggest amount ten dollars a month you are entitled to a shout out on here so uh zoe baines daryl griffiths and hugh adamson thank you very much for your continued support on patreon um it's you three and all the other patrons at the, at the lower amounts without you we couldn't do what we want to do this year We've got some big, uh, big goals ahead of us this year at Jump Cut Online and Jumpcast, um, and the support you guys give us is really, really uh, appreciated. And we literally, literally couldn't do what we want to do without you. Uh, to those who you aren't already subscribed or signed up to uh, donate to us monthly, you can do. You can find links to our Patreon uh, sub uh, subscription page and stuff on the website, uh, and we tweet about it quite regularly at the minute. 
uh, we appreciate that Christmas and New Year has happened and money is, is scarce for most of us at this time of year. Uh, but any um, any contributions anybody can make, we would greatly appreciate. Um, I think that about wraps it up. Next week, next week now, because we're doing weekly shows here on Jumpcast, uh, Dave is going to be back for his first show of the year. He's going to be joined by Corey and Holly, I believe, and I think they're going to be discussing Just Mercy, the new um, Michael B. Jordan film. Um, which is getting uh, good reviews. I've, I've uh, Some people have seen it at festivals and stuff at the end of last year. I think they really enjoyed that. So they may, uh, I think they're doing that. They may decide to do something else, but that's what's penciled in at the minute. Um, that just leaves me to say thank you to you for listening and thank you to Sam. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. Reese. Thank you. Thank you for joining me both tonight. Um, Look after yourself, go to the cinema, enjoy films, keep watching, keep listening, and we'll see you next time.